and welcome to Everybody's National Parks, an audio travel guide aimed to inspire you and your family to visit America's national parks and help you get the most out of your park experience. This is your host, Danielle. This is episode 30. In this episode, I speak with Moon Travel Guide author Carter Walker, all about road tripping around Yellowstone, Grand Teton, and Glacier National Park. Carter suggests checking out the Yellowstone Resources and Issues Handbook that comes out annually. I will have a link in the show notes to this resource. Send us your questions or comments to hello at everybody'snps.com or on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Before we get to the conversation, we want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Moon Travel Guides. If you've traveled the Americas, then you already know Moon Travel Guides are the go-to guides for truly immersive experiences. With coverage of every national park and more outdoor adventures across the U.S., you can count on Moon's local expertise, unique recommendations, strategic advice to help you plan an unforgettable trip. Whether you're hiking in the heartland or camping on the coast, wherever your wanderlust may lead, there's a moon guide for you. Whenever our family is deciding where we want to go next, we consult our copy of Moon USA National Parks. Now let's get to the conversation. Hi, and welcome. I'm here today with Carter Walker. She is the author of the Moon Travel Guide, Yellowstone to Glacier National Park Road Trip. She has also written other moon travel guidebooks, about Montana and Wyoming. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about a road trip. We're recording this in the end of May 2020, after this long quarantine for the past two months, and some parks are starting to open, but every place is managing things a little bit differently. Everybody, as individuals and travelers, feel differently about what they're comfortable with. But I have a feeling that if people do feel comfortable traveling, they may want to stick to a road trip rather than, you know, planes or trains or other modes of transportation. Right. Absolutely. And obviously, things are changing by the day. Please remember to check with parks. So it's hard to plan. And I know a lot of people I talk to are holding off and staying close to home this summer and perhaps waiting to make these big travel plans at a later date. I think it's smart. And I think it creates an opportunity for people to do the planning at home in this phase that they normally wouldn't do. They can really study the parks and and question themselves and their families, their traveling companions. You know, what is it that we want to see? How can we make this an amazing trip? So to be able to do the legwork now that might not get done in another year, I think is a real opportunity. So let's talk about our trip. We're planning a trip. And for our family, personally, we haven't thought about doing this type of road trip. We went to Yellowstone, but it was just the two of us, just Brian and me. So we still need to go back with our kids. Maybe we will be doing this trip down the line. And we did have a trip planned to Glacier this summer. So at this point, that's not happening. And we were just going to be going to Glacier and doing a lot of other things as well and visiting family and whatnot. But 
it'll be nice to talk to you and help us think about doing this trip with our kids and taking them to all these different places. But we as a family enjoy really learning and getting to know a place as opposed to just dropping in and seeing like these three huge parks in a week. Um, That just wouldn't be the way we like to do things. Every family is different. So what would be the ideal amount of time that you would want to do a trip like this? I think the ideal time for your family is going to be very different than the ideal time for another family. That's an important question for you to ask, for everyone to ask themselves before they start planning a trip like this. Because I I fall in line with, with your family and wanting to do the deep dive into a place and really get to know and and spend some time in a place. Yellowstone, for example, is 2.2 million acres, which is the size of Connecticut and Rhode Island combined. So it it would be funny to say to someone, yeah, I'm going to, you know, visit Connecticut and Rhode Island. I'm going to drive through in a day. I'm going to see it all. You know, (laughs) it wouldn't happen. So I love the idea of, of being able to spend three or four or five days or a week would be ideal in each in each park. That said, I understand people don't necessarily have three weeks to do something like this. So I think the ideal time is is really whatever works for you and your schedule and, and your family, and then finding ways to make best use of that time. And maybe you focus on one aspect. Um, maybe you really want to see mountains or you really want to see animals or you really want to learn about geology. And and then I think you tailor your trip to something like that. We can talk about ways to see all three parks in a week, if that's what you have and that's your goal. I think two weeks is more relaxing and an easier way to do it. And then three weeks is really would be fantastic to be able to spend more time out outside the car than inside and staying in the same place for a couple nights in a row, being able to not get in the car every day and and have hikes and things like that. I am going to make the executive decision that we skip how you would do this in one week. And the book is available. And if you're planning to do a trip like this, so helpful. I really encourage you to pick it up. But for people who are not out West and don't have the time to drive cross country like us, we would have to fly and then rent a car. And this is not a cheap trip. But if you happen to have any budget tips for car rental, you really need to shop around. And probably if you get a little further away from the airport or the park, maybe you may be able to find a deal. But that is going to be one of your biggest expenses. So right off the bat, do you have any uh, budget tips for car rentals. I think yeah, comparison shopping is the way to go, and finding car rental places that are not at the airports. I think finding car rentals that aren't in the Gateway community. So, for example, Billings is a fairly big city in Montana, but it's not immediately adjacent to any of the parks. So, there might be some better deals there, and then you would just have to put a little more driving time in to get to any of the parks from there. But Missoula, I, I would say probably Billings and Missoula, um, Great Falls, there can be some good deals there. Helena, 
So look around and be creative and maybe you'll uh, find something. But I know with our trip that we were supposed to take shopping around, we found it very challenging and pricey. And then picking up supplies, probably it depends on where you are and where you're starting and where you're flying into and whatnot in terms of what big town you'll be into. But your book has recommendations for all that, I think. Absolutely. I think in for Grand Teton, Jackson Hole is is gonna be the biggest place with the most variety. And then for Yellowstone, probably Bozeman, Livingston, depending on where you fly in, but but um, West Yellowstone, the closer you get to the park, the fewer options there are and the more expensive things are going to get. And then Glacier, Great Falls, Kalispell, even Missoula, again, depending on where you fly in. But things are limited in East and West Glacier and things are priced at a premium. I think that a 14-day trip, it might be the most realistic. If we were going to do it, I hope we could manage to swing three weeks. I would love that. But, you know, if people are taking a trip like this, maybe they'll save up their vacation time and just spring for it and, and take two weeks. It's one of those trips that you don't necessarily do more than once because it's far and hard to get to if, right. if you live on the East Coast like we do. So walk us through that. What does it look like and where do you recommend starting? Whenever I'm planning a trip, I figure out the transportation. So, and it's often cheaper to fly in and out of the same place. So I'm willing to do a little more driving to save a little money that way. In a perfect world, you could fly into Jackson Hole and then start down there and go through Grand Teton and then Yellowstone and then up the east side of the divide um, into Glacier and then back down the west side of the divide and fly out of Kalispell or Missoula or Bozeman and really never cover the same ground twice, which is a luxury. But in the book, I did a trip that started um, and finished in Bozeman because it's an easy city to get to. There's a lot of air service here and it's actually becoming less expensive. It's the busiest airport in Montana now. It gives easy access to both Yellowstone and Grand Teton, and then a trip up to Glacier. So that's where I would recommend starting, but there's any number of ways to do it. Okay. So if we're starting in Bozeman, what's our first stop? So I would spend a day, I would spend a day in Bozeman and do a hike and get supplies. And, and then I would head from there into, into Yellowstone coming through West Yellowstone and I'd go as far as Old Faithful that first night, spend some time being around the in the Kaiser Basin at night under the moon. That's one way to steer clear of crowds is by going out at night, even setting an alarm for two or three in the morning and getting people out and going to, to the boardwalk then to watch Old Faithful erupt. You can find out in, ex- in advance when the eruptions are supposed to happen based on the, the time and the length and the height of the last eruption. That's all on Twitter. You can find that. So then you might be able to see it alone, which is pretty remarkable. That would be awesome. And there's an app for that too. You can download an app that gives you the predictions of all the geysers that they're able to predict. Right. So just to let you know, we actually did go to Yellowstone in the winter a few years ago. Gosh, I think 
that was December 2016, so a while ago now. And so I just wanted to mention that we have a whole in-depth, deep-dive series on Yellowstone that is series four. So it's episodes 4.1 to 4.8 in September 2017. And we have episodes on how to tips on planning your trip. And we talk to expert on wolves and bears and Native Americans and scientists. There's a lot of cool research out of Mammoth Hot Springs. If you are, you know, planning a trip to Yellowstone, definitely check that out. That's a, it's a great thing to be listening to now and really figuring out what, where's your fire? What are you excited about? So I love that idea. Yeah. 2016 was the centennial year of the National Park Service and the May 2016 issue of National Geographic magazine was all about Yellowstone written by David Quammen. And so he actually was our guest for episode 4.3. And that was a really cool conversation. So old faithful at night, set your alarm in the middle of the night when everyone is sleeping and just have that magical place all to yourself. That sounds amazing. And winter too. I bet you had some opportunities to not have as many people with you when old faithful erupted. That was pretty special. I have to say, if you ever get the chance to go, I'm sure you've been in the winter, but you know, for listeners, if you have the opportunity, I definitely want to go there at other times of the year because you are limited in what you can see and, and how you can travel in the winter, especially when there's three feet of snow <laughs> right? and more. But yeah, we cross-country skied the Upper Geyser Basin by ourselves. Oh, wow. And we only had to get out of the way or move around <laughs> and let the right of way go to a bison that was on the trail. And other than that, it was just us. So, and then Old Faithful was erupting while we were doing that. So we saw it off in the distance and then it was beginning to snow. That was pretty incredible to have that to yourself and to imagine in summertime what it must look like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, winter is my favorite time in Yellowstone. So I think that's a fantastic way to, to see it. So from Old Faithful, we go out of the park. Actually, in this route, we would go down through West Thumb Geyser Basin and then down all the way through Grand Teton to Jackson Hole. So this way we would be seeing the southwest side of Yellowstone. And, and Yellowstone's like a figure eight. So we'd just be seeing that one kind of corner and then the southern road down through through Grand Teton. Okay. And we should note also, what time of year could you do this trip? Are you limited to summer or shoulder seasons as well? Or it really just depends and you have to kind of monitor road closures and whatnot. You do have to monitor road closures. And typically the parks will open in early May and this is anything but a typical year and you know nobody can predict obviously what's going to what's going to happen from here but typically the roads will open in May and they'll stay open until usually late October it it, it just all depends if the snow comes early they might close early so to drive through the park in the way that we're talking about now yes it it needs to be when the ground isn't covered with snow. 
That's really helpful. Yeah, we did not have that luxury. So we had to drive all the way around to get to Jackson Hole from Old Faithful. Yeah. Or you can take a snow coach in the winter. Oh, and right. And you can take the snow coach to Grand Teton. Yeah. I'm not seeing that. Mm -hmm. Okay. You said spend the day and hike in Bozeman. Was there anything that you wanted to mention? Any highlights or special things in particular about Bozeman? Bozeman's just a great mountain town. It happens to be the town where I live. Montana State University is here. So it's just a lively, rapidly growing community. There's a lot of culture here. There's great restaurants. It's surrounded by mountains. There are uh, blue ribbon trout streams here. There's a lot of stuff to do here. So it's a nice place to get your feet wet and load up on things before you go into the park. So then we're in Jackson Hole. How long of a drive is it from Old Faithful to Jackson Hole? It's 100 miles. It's about three hours. And there's traffic. And the, and the speed limit's 35 miles an hour. And, you know, you wait for the bison. So. Right. And then you're stopping to sightsee along the way as well. Absolutely. Okay. All right. So then off to Jackson Hole. I often recommend people stay in Jackson rather than in Grand Teton National Park just because there's so many more accommodations in Jackson. And it's really quite easy to do day trips into Grand Teton. So there's only um, 42 miles of road in Grand Teton National Park, which isn't much. Pretty easy to cover that ground. The primary places to stay in Grand Teton can be very pricey and and hard to get. So that's why it's oftentimes easier just to stay in Jackson Hole and and go back up into the park each day for hikes, for for bike rides, for boat trips, whatever kind of adventure you have in mind. Jackson Hole is just such a pretty town as well. So it's just nice to be there and there's just so many cool places to go there. Yeah. There's great hiking in town if you don't want to be in the park there are all sorts of places to go adventuring around Jackson, but the park is spectacular. Right. So we're looking at like day three was traveling to Jackson, day four and five in Jackson Hole and and exploring. Are there any highlights in the Grand Teton National Park? I love the hikes around Jenny Lake. It can be really crowded, but it's so beautiful. And I think deeper in uh, you get the farther away from the parking lot, the the fewer people there are, you won't be alone, which isn't necessarily a bad thing with wildlife and, and things like that. That's kind of my favorite place to be, but there's two ocean lake. There's lots of places um, to go for mountain bike rides. There's just a, so many places to explore. Do you have a favorite time of year that you like to go there? You already mentioned that Yellowstone is your favorite in winter. I love Grand Teton in the fall because the the colors are magnificent and just that that alpine scenery and the aspens are just yellow and orange and 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 the grasses are golden. I mean it's just a beautiful beautiful time of year to be there. It's just a dynamic time for for all the wildlife. I think that was September October would be my favorite time. And uh, and do you have a favorite activity because Grand Teton definitely seems like the place to do so many different types of sports and outdoor adventure activities. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm a walker. I, I just love to hike. I That's my favorite thing to do. But, and to explore a place 
on foot for me is just remarkable. Grand Teton is extraordinary. You can go horseback riding, you can go canoeing, you can um, go fishing, you can be on the Snake River, you can be on Jackson Lake. It's do you want to fish? Do you want to do you want to look at wildlife? Do you want to take pictures? It's just it's just whatever people are most inclined to do. Right. And you bring up a really good point is, you know, before you set off on this adventure, you know, have a talk with yourself and with your family about what your goals are and what your interests are and what you want to get out of a trip like this, because, you know, you can spend a lifetime exploring these places and still not do it all. Well, that sounds absolutely lovely. And that's another place that we went to as part of our trip. So roads were closed, visitor centers were closed. But we got to we got to see it, and we got to snowshoe and um, cross country ski a little bit. So we definitely do want to go back when we can actually get more into the park and not just see not just see the mountains with the pretty views. <laughs> I think that's one of the things about Grand Teton that's just so stunning. It's just the beauty, the vista, like no place else. So day six, we're leaving Jackson Hole, and we are moving on. If we go to Lake Lodge. It's 65 miles, so about two hours. It's kind of in the west of Grand Teton National Park, and it's south of Yellowstone. So once you're at Lake Lodge, it's another great place to to go mountain biking, to go horseback riding, to just walk, to look for wildlife. And so are we doing any stops along the way? or um, Yeah, absolutely. You're always stopping along the way, whether it's at Signal Mountain or definitely the Oxbow Bend. You know, there are cruises to take out to Elk Island. There's lots of places to stop. Great. And if you want to stay there, then you probably need to book way, way in advance. But you're recommending anyway that that people be staying in Jackson Hole. But from here, they would have already packed up from their hotel or camping or whatever from Jackson Hole. Right. Right. So here I do recommend getting a room here at the Jackson Lake Lodge, but they could also leave the park out, head toward Du Bois, something like that, and stay outside the park. There are places, Moran Junction, even further north and west from from Jackson Lake Lodge, where Two Ocean Lake is and Emma Matilda Lake. That's a really great place to get out and explore and be away from people. There's just not a ton of traffic there. So you can also rent mountain bikes from the lodge and and go explore those areas that way. Okay. And so is this lodge like some of the others where you need to book a year in advance or not necessarily? You do. I mean, you do need to book a year in advance. And I do always tell people though, it's, it's worth calling up until the day before you're there to see if there are any cancellations because sometimes that happens and sometimes you'll just get lucky. All right. Well, that sounds really nice and lovely and getting away from the crowds a bit. Where do we go from there? So from Lake, I am recommending going up into Yellowstone and then up the east side of the park. So again, double back to West Thumb, and then you're heading east. So you're going up toward Lake and then Canyon, Tower, Roosevelt, and Mammoth, and then up into Paradise Valley, which is the valley just north of Yellowstone. So that's a big day. It's two hours if you go nonstop, but if this is your only 
time in Yellowstone, then I would urge people to make a point of going into the Lamar Valley as well, which is kind of a spur road off that figure eight that we talked about, because that's just an extraordinary place to see wildlife. So that could add another 50 miles onto the, onto the day, but well worth it. And would you hit the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone if you're heading into that area? Yep, you would. Yeah. So that would be a, a really full day. Right. And a lot of travel and a lot of visiting. So have a lot of snacks with you. Exactly. <laughs> so Paradise Valley is outside of Yellowstone. It is. Yeah. Not far. Half an hour. The place that I recommend people stay is just north of the park. But the little town of, of Gardner has a lot of accommodations so people could stay there. Is there anything special about Paradise Valley that people should do while they're there? Or is it more like that's just a good place to park yourself for the night? Well, I always send people to Chico Hot Springs, which is just a historic resort in Paradise Valley where they have natural hot springs. So you can swim and there's a great saloon. There's phenomenal food. It's just a classic Montana place. It was originally, there was a boarding house for miners and, and because of the hot water, they were able to grow strawberries for much of the year. And so these miners would come and, and get a bath and have fresh strawberries. And they thought that was pretty incredible. So yeah, it's a wonderful place to be. I love strawberries. (laughs) Yeah. And they grow a lot of their own food and yeah, it's beautiful. And you can get a massage or you can, again, go horseback riding in the winter. You can go dog sledding. There's just a ton of, of things to do there. It's old school Montana. Nice. That sounds great. And this day of travel, it's a full day. You're traveling pretty far. And from Paradise Valley, you're all relaxed after your massage and good food and soaking in hot springs. And then where do we go? Then the next day is another big day. That is up the east side of the Rocky Mountain front um, to Great Falls. And there's just a ton to see in there, but it's really um, breadbasket of Montana. And it's it's just beautiful and really unpopulated. Little towns of Wilsall and White Sulphur Springs. There's this state park called Sluice Boxes State Park, which is beautiful. And the Little Belt Mountains, it's just a great road trip day, seeing a lot of country. We're approximately, well, a little over halfway We're like at day eight. This is day eight. And this would be 205 miles. So it'd be three and a half hours, but lots of little towns and just slowly make your way and get a sense of this part of the state. That sounds great. And end up in Great Falls at, oh, there's a place called the Sip and Dip in a little motel. I think it's O'Hare's Motor Inn. And the Sip and Dip has, it's a tiki lounge. And there's a pool behind the bar and a window into the pool. And they have mermaid shows every (laughs) night. So you can drink some blue concoction with umbrellas in it or green, whatever you want. And then watch the mermaid show. And there's a a woman named Piano Pat Spoonheim who (laughs) is in her 90s. And she plays every night. She plays the organ. Wow. And uh, yeah, she's pretty great. That sounds amazing. And obviously not what you would expect to be doing in Montana. (laughs) No, no, not at all. That's a great tip. 
Well, I'm going to do the road trip just for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun. Great Falls gets a bad rap and it's a fantastic place. There's some really wonderful museums and just some just some great funky places. <laughs> yep, you said it. And and so we're spending the night there at Great Falls. Yeah. All right. Yep. And then from there. And then day 9, 125 miles to Browning which is on the reservation. And again, right now with COVID, the, the reservations are all closed, you know, in an effort to really protect the residents and then, and particularly their elders. So I don't know what will be happening with that, but there's an extraordinary museum. There's a place where you can stay in a teepee and, and really learn about the Blackfeet culture. And I think it's a great way to, to understand the area and then to understand, to get kind of a preview of Glacier from the Blackfeet perspective. Well, people who are planning this trip will have to, you know, check and see what the status of that is. But that sounds like a great experience too. Yeah. And um, then day 10, Browning to Mini Glacier, which is only about 45 miles. So it'll take, you know, maybe an hour. And then Many Glacier is just this extraordinary, it's a little ways into the park. I think it's worth knowing that in, in Yellowstone, it's 2.2 million acres and there's 251 miles of road. Grand Teton is 310,000 acres and there's 42 miles of road. And then Glacier is, a, is about a million acres and from east to west, there's one main road, which is known as the going to the sun road, and that's 50 miles. And then many glaciers, just this little jog into the park. And it's so spectacular. It looks like the Alps. It's just mountains and wildflowers and wildlife. And it's, it's an extraordinary place to get out on and hike. Oh, well, that is where we are supposed to go. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. but we, we will someday. We'll yes, get there. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I hope we get to go there. And so many glacier. And so people should plan to stay there. Yeah. If, if at all possible, again, you've got to book the reservations a year in advance, or there are some camping options and then just calling for cancellations. If you need to stay out of the park, you can do that. There's not a ton around there, but yeah, if you can stay in Many Glacier, I think it's really a treat. And for camping, is that reservation as well and that far in advance? Do you know about that? You know, there's actually a lot of it is first come, first serve. The Park Service websites have a page where you can see what time the, the campgrounds have been filling each day and you can see the status. So you'll know what your chances are. You don't know how many campgrounds are in that area and, and what the status of each one is, but it's, it's all in the book or, or on the Glacier website. Your window to really get to visit with roads being open, it's, it's pretty small. So it's hard to go there without crowds. And so what are your highlights or maybe insider scoop or off the beaten path things um, that you recommend? You know, in Glacier, there were 3.05 million visitors in 2019. In Grand Teton, there were 3.4 million. And then in 
Yellowstone, there was just over 4 million. So that's a lot of people. And Yellowstone, it's spread out through the year, although there are closures, you know, in the, in the late fall, early winter, and then again in the, in the late winter, early spring. But it's open much more of the year than the other parks. And, and so Grand Teton and Glacier has to accommodate that many people over their opening season, you know, typically from May through October. So that's a lot of people. And you're not really going to get away from the crowds unless you get into the backcountry. And that's another commitment. It's absolutely worth doing, but it's only for people who really, you know, want to do that and make that commitment and are willing to practice leave no trace and and all of that. Right. And bear safety. <laughs> Absolutely. And bear so, safety. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's not something that everyone is willing to do. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when I've been up in Glacier and hiking on, you know, whether it's the Highline Trail or around Mini Glacier, I'm a little grateful, especially when I'm hiking by myself. I am grateful that there are other people because I know that that makes it safer, not only for the hikers, but it makes it safer for the bears. If they can hear a lot of us coming, it's, it's when they get surprised that, you know, they're most in danger. And, and so there is a reason that it's good that there are people. And I think some of it's needing to change our mindset and accommodate that we're really in their home. And, right. and so as nice as solitude is, it's not what's going to keep everyone safe. Right. That's a really good point. So safety in numbers, it's nice to see other hikers on the trail who are yeah. You know, coming back from where you're heading and know that the coast is clear <laughs> or yeah. can give you a heads up or something. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Right. That's really helpful. Okay. So anything else that, I mean, Glacier, obviously there's so much to do in all of these parks and we're just giving a quick little overview. And so any favorites, any things that you want to mention about Glacier? I think one thing, and this is true in all the parks, the ranger activities are really fantastic. And in Glacier, they run from the late spring into, you know, all the way through summer. And you can do guided hikes, which is another really safe way to hike into the backcountry is with rangers. And at night, they'll do slide presentations and lectures at some of the hotels. That's just a great thing to be able to access those people who know so much and have seen so much of the park and just to hear their stories, I think is a really worthwhile thing to do. Another program they have in Glacier is called Native America Speaks. Four different tribes come in regularly and talk about, you know, life and their culture and and Native American influence in the park. And they speak at some of the campgrounds. So I think taking advantage of that is a great way to deepen your understanding of the place. Anytime you go into the park, you can get a newsletter from, from the park that talks about the different events, or you can see it on their website about what's happening. And, and then in July and August at the St. Mary Visitor Center in Glacier, there are Native American dance troops that come in. And again, that's a really um, special thing for people to see. Yeah, that sounds nice. You have to do those things when you're there. If they're available, of course. There are organizations like this in all of the parks, but in Glacier, there's the Glacier Institute. There's really cool things for kids and for adults. I mean, you can do it. You can do a day long program if you're really interested in grizzly bears or you're really interested in 
in butterflies or wildflowers or whatever it is, you can do a, a day long program. And I think they start at like $65 or something. It, it may have gone up now, but, and then they have a, they have three to five day youth camps, which are really pretty reasonable. And some of them are overnight. So giving kids that opportunity to, to really have their first camping experience with the experts in Glacier is, is a great thing. And it gives mom and dad a little time, you know, to go on some big hikes or, or whatever. So that's something cool to look into. That sounds amazing. <laughs> My kids would love that. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. And we, and we would love it too. <laughs> so being that the season there of when it, things are open and roads are open and are, is shorter, do you have a favorite month, for example, that you like to go there? I think September is extraordinary and May can be extraordinary. Although the going to the sun road, which is the 50 mile road that basically goes east to west up and over the mountains that can, depending on the, on the amount of snow and how long it takes to plow that can open later. That's sort of the most famous thing in Glacier that people want to do is drive up and over the mountains on that road. So I, I love as shoulder season as you can get, you know, July and August are, are packed. They just are but they're beautiful and the weather's great. And, you know, so there's just a trade-off. Yeah. And I know there's like a cool thing you can do when they're plowing the road and it's closed to vehicles. You can go in and bike ride. Yes. Yes. Same thing in, in Yellowstone in April for a couple of weeks, you can ride your bike, which is such a cool thing to do. Well, I can't wait to go there. So there are many Glacier and Lake McDonald. We haven't yes. talked about that yet. Yes. Lake McDonald is, it's just so beautiful. And, you know, again, I think with Lake McDonald, the lodge, you can just go walk in and around the lodge. You can sit on the porch and have an iced tea. There, there are boats that go from there. There are tons of hiking trails. There's also a little road that goes, that goes around the backside of the lake. And I have gone there and just parked on the side of the road and just kind of hiked down to the beach. And it's this beautiful rocky beach everywhere, everywhere you are there and just, you know, sit there and just watch the water and, and watch the wildlife. And that seems to be one way to, to get away from the people. In Glacier in the park. There are two lodges, is that right? No, there are a lot more than that. Oh, okay. There yeah, I don't know the total number, but there are I would say more than a dozen. Oh, okay. That includes East and West Glacier, so even though they aren't like in the park per se, they're right there. Okay. And so there's one at Many Glacier and there's one at Lake McDonald. There're several at Many Glacier. Okay. And then there I think there are actually two at Lake McDonald, there's the Lake McDonald Lodge. And then I think, now I can't remember, it might be the, the Motor Inn or something like that. Okay, great. And again, you know, try to plan your end book in advance so you can uh, get a room in one of those places. Yeah. Are there any other, you talked about the ranger programs and, and the Native American programs there. Are there other activities that you recommend? I think the hiking's amazing. The shuttle service is great, but it's, it's, you know, in July and August, it is packed. For example, to hike the Highline Trail, the parking lots are oftentimes filled by nine o'clock in the morning. 
And so if you can get on the shuttle, great, do that. They're easier to get from places like Lake McDonald. Once you start getting up in higher on the going to the sun, you know, oftentimes they'll only be able to pick up one rider at a time. So go early in the day is smart for a lot of reasons, but also sometimes be willing to hike the opposite way than, than most people are going. It's great to park your car low and then take the shuttle up and hike down, but that doesn't always work if the shuttles are full. So being willing to go up park high and then, you know, you just kind of have to figure it out. I'm thinking about a hike I did last year. We tried to park low, get the shuttle up and hike down, but what we couldn't get a shuttle. So we just ended up having to do the hike up to the top. And then we got a shuttle back down in the evening, which was much less crowded. Just <laughs> planning in advance and, and talking with the rangers or wherever you're staying um, and just finding out, okay, if, if I wanted to hike this route, how am I going to do that? Right. And on the Glacier website, you can see what's going on at the different parking areas going to the Sun Road. And so you'll know when they're full. Okay. It sounds like if you leave early enough, you could probably take your own vehicle, but you just have to be really starting your day super early. Yeah, you could, but then oftentimes you don't want to hike, say, you know, 10 miles up and then 10 miles back. So you want to just do the 10 miles and then you want to ride back to your car. So yeah, you can always do an out and back hike if, if wherever you can get a parking spot, but if you don't want to cover that much ground and you'd rather just go one way, then you have to figure out the shuttle. So that's something where you got to do a little bit of research and then check with the Rangers also to figure out what the best logistics. It's hard for you to really advise on that because everybody has different interests and different abilities, but you'll want to try and figure out what's the best way to make it the easiest on you. And in in all ways, in terms of how strenuous it is and also just the weight and the crowds of the shuttle. Right, right. So there's a lot of factors to figure out. So after, after we leave Lake McDonald, where are we going after that? From Lake McDonald, I think you go to Whitefish. So you go out of the park in West Glacier and then down to the little ski town of, of Whitefish where there's fancy food again, you know, and, and shopping. And if that's what people are interested in, but also just a ton of, of beautiful places around there to, to hike and mountain bike and a lot of accommodations there as well. Is that considered a gateway town? So if people can't stay in the park and they don't want to do camping. uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Stay there. Yep. Whitefish, okay. Kalispell, East or West Glacier. Yes. There's a road, I think it's Highway 2, although I'd have to check, that kind of skirts southern perimeter of the park and goes through um, this little town of Essex. There's an inn there called the Isaac Walton Inn. It's an old train hotel. They have extraordinary cross-country skiing in the winter. And, and it's open in the summer as well. So there are places outside of the park when you can't get accommodations in the park. That's really helpful. And so we're ending our trip. We've done three national parks. Yes. In a span of 14 days. And um, is there anything that you would do on your return trip if you're flying out of Bozeman and 
returning your rental car there. So again, it depends on on what you want to see. If you want to drive down past Flathead Lake, which is beautiful and go for a swim, you can hike in the Jewel Basin. You can go to the National Bison Range, which is just north of Bra Valley, and then down to Missoula and then and then back to Bozeman on the on the highway, that's one way. And that's sort of wide open and beautiful. You're driving along the Mission Mountains and through the Flathead Indian Reservation, or you can go down the Sealy Swan Valley, which is much more forested and, and close and, and big, tall trees and little lakes and, and waterfalls, a lot of great hiking in there and all just kind of old school, you know, there's no fast food restaurants or anything like that. It's little hotels, little mom and pop places, sort of step back in time. It's a beautiful valley. And and so then you're on the east side of the missions. Then you can go through Helena. It's it's do you want to be on highways? Do you want to hurry and get home? Or do you want to see wide open spaces or you know, it's just again what lights their fire. Well, what a beautiful part of our country to explore. And you've been out there a long time. Do you have any sort of special moment that you want to share, whether it's in the park or along these areas that you've talked about? Is there a special moment that kind of sticks out in your mind that makes you just feel really lucky to be there? Oh my gosh, it it all makes me feel lucky. I have so loved raising my two girls here and and having them experience the parks you know i remember gosh they saw a baby elk born one day just in just in little mammoth you know or just driving through and and that was extraordinary i've been lucky enough to see wolves to see grizzly bears to see mountain lion. I think that's something that we all can be so grateful for that we have these national parks and that they belong to us and thinking about what our responsibility is, you know, particularly now in the era of of COVID to to protect these places and to preserve them and to make sure that they are forever. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um once again, I'm speaking with Carter Walker, and she is the author of The Moon Travel Guide, Yellowstone to Glacier National Park Road Trip. Thank you so much, Carter. Thank you so much, Danielle. Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find links to resources mentioned in this episode in the show notes on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. Send us your stories, tips, or comments to hello at everybodysnps.com. You can write us a message or even record a short voice memo on your phone and then attach it to the email. You may be featured on an upcoming episode. Again, the email is hello at everybodysnps.com. Subscribe for free to Everybody's National Parks on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, become a patron. Just click on support our show on our homepage, everybodysnationalparks.com. We also appreciate if you write a review, give us a five-star rating, and tell your friends. This helps more people find us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting, so please tag us at hashtag Everybody's National Parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.